listener production. US stocks end the week lower as investors reflect on higher producer inflation. And Aussie shares expected to begin the week down with the Aussie dollar dipping below 65 US cents. I'm Tom. And I'm Ryan. It's Monday the 14th of August. Welcome to the Comsec Market Update. Ryan, have you got your breath back? What a breathless Saturday <laughs> night it was, Tom. The Tillies. The Tillies just captured the imagination the of the end, country. I was on the end of my couch during that penalty shootout. What a splendid treat it was. It was so gripping. They stood up under a lot of pressure and adversity. And Mackenzie Arnold, what a legend. As a team, they yes. performed brilliantly. And I think that's what has gripped everyone, is that they have stuck together so valiantly and... Uh, our best wishes go with them this week. Bring on Wednesday, the football ashes. And there's so much to take our breath away this week as far as the market's concerned, Ryan. We've got a very big week. Let's just reflect on how last week ended because we saw a glimpse of what might be coming down the pipe. And this is in literal terms uh, where inflation is concerned because we had some higher than expected producer inflation. And that's what we refer to as upstream inflation. That means inflation that is yet to come to the consumer. It's what is involved in the process of production. Really is defined as the price wholesalers pay for raw goods, Tom. So what we saw on Friday was a slightly higher than expected reading for the month of July. We saw the producer price index lift by 0.3%. Markets were looking for a gain of 0.2%. The annual growth rate rose from 0.2% to 0.8%. So let's just pause there for one moment. What we look at very closely is the arrow and its angle. So this is pointing straight up, that that rate of change from the previous month. So the annualised pace of inflation went from 0.2 to 0.8, and you're about to talk to, uh, to the base effects. And this is a very important consideration when we reflect on inflation. So I apologise to the listener for interrupting, Ryan. Go ahead. When we look at those base effects, we're referring to inflation 12 months ago. That was very elevated, multi-decade highs, in fact. So that's had a big impact on those annualised numbers. But US inflation metrics really gave a mixed signal in separate reports on Friday. So that really complicated the narrative around moderating price pressures in the world's largest economy. So we did see, as we talked about, those producer prices being stronger than expected. The University of Michigan also released its consumer sentiment report for the month of August, And what we did see there was consumer inflation expectations unexpectedly fall in the month of August, despite higher gasoline and grocery costs. But producer prices grew last month by more than expected, primarily due to increases in certain service Mm. categories, Tom. So let's just quickly take a look at what happened with the leading indices. The Dow finished the session with a gain of 0.3 of a percent. The S&P 500 was down 0.1% and the NASDAQ, unsurprisingly, fell by 0.6%. So we need to look at what happened to the bonds because they responded uh, immediately and aggressively. Uh, The 10-year bond up by 8 basis points to 4.16% and the 2-year up by 7 basis points to 4.89%. So the day before, we spoke about the way that the interest rate markets were responding to some benign inflation numbers, it's almost as though they were keeping their powder dry and waiting to get the full picture. 
as is often the prescient nature of bond markets. Well, that's right, Tom. And what we did see was the response to those hotter than expected US producer prices, which pushed up US Treasury yields and sank rate-sensitive megacap growth stocks in the United States. So importantly, over the course of the week, you had both long and short-term interest rates up by double-digit figures. So 10 basis points for a two-year and uh, the same for a 10-year Treasury note. So Ryan, just in terms of, again, arrows and their angles, you know, you've got bond yields heading towards their recent ceiling. And that is a little unsettling as far as the stock picture at least is concerned, and it reflects the weekly performances for these indices. So, you know, the Dow actually managed to improve by around 0.6%, but we saw a near 2% fall for the NASDAQ reflecting that move where interest rate markets were concerned. Well, Tom, traders are nervous that a resurgence in price pressures could increase the chances that US Federal Reserve will need to continue hiking rates. So what we did see is a repricing around the core PCE or the personal consumption expenditure deflator, which is what the US Federal Reserve uses when it looks at its 2% target for interest rates. And what happens is with the consumer price index and the producer price index both being released, you can estimate what that will be. Later this month, it's expected to actually increase on an annualized basis from 4.1% to 4.3% in July. So base effects again, but what it all means is that it keeps traders on tenterhooks about what the US Federal Reserve will do. And if we just go under the bonnet of those producer prices as well, we did see wholesale services jump 0.5% last month. That was the largest increase since last August. After dipping by 0.1% in June, we saw a 7.6% surge in portfolio management fees, which accounted for a 40% increase in services. And that's likely due to the strong performance of financial markets as investors bet the Fed was probably done hiking rates. We also saw an increase in the cost of machinery and vehicle, chemicals and product wholesaling, as well as securities brokerage dealing, investment advice and related services. Hospital outpatient care rebounded 0.7%. So we did see also airline fares increase 1.7% too. So what this all means is that we're still seeing that services pulse. Wages are still increasing. Yep. And that means inflation is still present and of course we are concerned about that situation. So if you're a central banker, you look at um, all of these inputs and you think, okay, so where's the risk? And the thing is that with employment being as robust as it is, they can lean into this still a little bit more. And if you were a trader and you're taking risk and you're trying to evaluate where on the spectrum we are, the risk is that rates could still go a deal higher and that is what is being reflected in interest rate markets as we speak with perceptions around what we know at this moment. And speaking of perceptions, Bill Gross was out and about. <laughs> speaking and of uh, luminaries in the bond market. Yes. the one He was time, your boss once, wasn't he, Trent? Well, very, very removed from where I was. But, he didn't uh, pop around for a scone? No, no. I think he was too busy fighting his neighbours from memory at Newport he's, Beach. He's a vexatious litigant, isn't he? He is indeed. So the one time <laughs> Bond King was out and around, and he said, stock and treasury bulls are wrong as both markets are overvalued. So the former chief investment officer of Pacific Investment Management Company, as PIMCO is known, said the fair value of the 10-year US treasury yield is about 4.5% compared with the current level of 4.16%. So, so by definition, he'd be in cash with that summation. You'd think so, yes. But certainly what it points to is 
the equity risk premium. We don't talk about this too often. It's one of the most we important should. numbers in yeah. finance. It's now at its lowest level since 2004. And that equity risk premium measures the difference between the earnings yield on the S&P 500 and the current rate on the 10-year Treasury note. So that's signaling that stocks are getting overvalued relative to bonds. And that's also what investors are looking at in also a period where trading volumes are very low in the US in August because of the summer hiatus for holidays. Just to play the devil's advocate in the conversation around the equity risk premium, the discussion is that you know, you're still dealing with the perversion of the landscape with quantitative easing and everything that took place uh, over the course of the pandemic. That is a slightly warped landscape and it's taken a while for the relative valuations to begin to look more natural in the absence of quantitative easing and the like. So that's the way that you would rebut that conversation, I suppose. Yeah, it's a fair assessment. And I think overall, where we're at at the moment is swap markets or, or traders are betting the US Federal Reserve will pause its interest rate hikes next month in September. But there is still some risk that the inflation problem will remain. And, and it kind of brings our mind back to the local bond market, which is actually being very conservative in relation to the outlook for, for interest rates, given what we're seeing elsewhere there is a sense that the RBA might be leaning towards being less aggressive in terms of the way the market's shaping up with its pricing. And that is a risk in itself. We heard from the Reserve Bank Governor, Philip Lowe, on Friday. He was grilled by the politicians and testimony. And the commentary was fairly dovish, to say the least. He didn't want to put a foot out of step. Mm, yeah, I mean, there wasn't final, much he could say. Really, where we're at at the moment is 4.1% likely to be where we could end up, but maybe one or two more rate hikes at the very most by year end is, is, is probably the reality of the situation. And of course, we get an update on wages growth in Australia this week, which will be very important. Such a big week. So in terms of the way the day is shaping up locally, Ryan, we've got the futures pointing to a loss of 0.4% for the ASX 200. It'll be interesting to see to what extent the market picks up on the pulse of Chinese news that we have seen at the weekend. And this just continues that drumbeat of weaker figures out of China starting to look a little bit shaky. It's looking very shaky, Tom. China's lapse into deflation is emerging as the latest risk for the stock market, not only domestically in China, but also in Australia as well. It could have a downdraft certainly on those resources, stocks in particular. So what we did see on the weekend, or at least on Friday, is the release of China's latest numbers around credit data. And China's new bank loans tumbled in July, and other key credit gorges also weakened, even after policymakers cut interest rates and promised to roll out more support for the faltering economy last month. And we did see Chinese bank extend new loans in July by the lowest since late 2009, and we know what happened back then. We saw a significant stimulus effort from the Chinese in response to the GFC. So we have seen the economy slip into deflation, exports and imports are plummeting, and that's really adding pressure on Beijing to roll out more forceful stimulus measures. And we did see broad credit growth drop to a record low. So what this all means, of course, is that that subdued financing for the real economy is likely to constrain metal demand. So but just, just let's quickly reflect on the fact that the Chinese have actually been leaning into the credit creation side of things by cutting interest rates 
and it's fallen flat at uh, first glimpse. The rate cuts have been at the margin. It's been 10 basis points here and there. So really, they're quite reluctant, Beijing, to deploy more forceful stimulus in the face of weak consumption and a property market slump that can keep prices muted for longer. So without a healthy dose of inflation, which generally helps buoy corporate revenue and profits, the stock market risks being stuck in the doldrums in China at the moment. And of course, the real economy with that lack of inflation means a lack of pricing power for companies. Uh, let's just quickly reflect on some of the organisations that will be reporting results today. We've got Ansel, we've got Bendigo Bank, we've got car sales, uh, we've got uh, GPT, we've got JB Hi-Fi, we've got Len Lease, uh, amongst others, reporting results. It's a very big week. In fact, uh, the biggest week of earnings for the local share market in the current reporting season. So... It'll be interesting to see the way that the markets digest all of that. In fact, it'll probably take a little bit of time and we'll be seeing the ongoing effects of this for the next couple of weeks. We'll get a flavour for consumer spending from JB Hi-Fi and carsales.com. We've got updates from banks like Bendigo and Adelaide and we've got some industrials in there as well, along with a big focus on companies like Temple and Webster and Life360 has been one that has been a bit of a go-to stock, particularly for adults looking to track their teenage children. And one of the other things to note as well is that the Aussie dollar has dipped under 65 US cents. So we saw the Aussie dollar dip from 65.31 cents to 64.84 US cents and was near 65 cents at the US close. So the Aussie dollar continues to come under pressure from the US dollar with that interest rate differential we did see iron ore prices, however, up 0.7% to 105.37 US dollars a tonne on Friday, and Chinese steel mills recommenced operations after the summer lull, lifting demand and supporting prices, Tom. So a fascinating week beckons. Thank you very much for your company this morning. Be sure to tune into the afternoon podcast. Have a great day. This podcast is prepared, approved and distributed in Australia by Commonwealth Securities Limited, ABN 60067-254-399, AFSL 238814. The information does not take into consideration your objectives, financial situation or needs. Consider the appropriateness of the information before acting and if necessary, seek appropriate professional advice. Listener.